Unless I haven't been paying attention, man, the moon doesn't look normal. You keep the pressure on, correct? We stay until we win, is that right? Yeah. At the moment you're under arrest for incitement. Have you guys been following me? We're winning, folks. Okay, we're winning. We're pushing back the dark. You ask simply two questions to find a filthy Freemason de Molay. Where did you go to school? Which primary school? Which high school? And who's your daddy? Hello, Conditional Release Program listeners to our new podcast in what has become a bit of a bloody stable of podcasts, Tinfoil Tales. The Conditional Release Program would be a bumbling mess without your current hosts, Soz and Sandy, who have been feeding us amazing information from their endless research into the freedom movement for a long time now. They know bloody everything. They actually watch the content. It's amazing. They're brilliant on Twitter as well, by the way. So we decided to take out the middleman and just get them to tell us the stories themselves. And so we have Tinfoil Tales, which will be a regular podcast on the Conditional Release Program feed about the movements of the movement. All the infighting, gossip, scamming, misbehavior, all the good shit brought to you on your podcast app. And now, without any more bullshit from me, Tinfoil Tales, Episode 1, An Epic Tale. Hi, I'm Sauce. Hello, I'm Sandy. Welcome, everyone. We thought that given this was our first episode, we might start things off with a joke. So, a prepper from Western Australia, a concreter from Wollongong, and a diabolical lunatic walk into a bar. Just kidding, there's no joke here, but they did bring a few thousand to Canberra. So by now everyone's very familiar with who the main characters are. We've got Jim Greer, Dave Graham, who you probably know best as Guru, and Ricardo Bossi. And you're aware that there's a bit of a divide in the movement between the political faction and the non-political side. We all saw that with the two stages on the lawns in front of Parliament House all the way back on February the 12th. You know, that big rally. The one where they all got fried by LRADs? That's the one. Can you believe they're still talking about LRADs? <laughs> but how did we end up there? And whatever happened to all that money? Well, let's start with Guru. A quick visit to his socials confirmed to us that he is pretty deep into a bunch of different conspiracies. He talks about adrenochrome, flat earth, new world order, you know, your normal stuff. Yep, and the pedophiles. Yeah, always the pedophiles. Anyway, back in October, he was a semi-regular on Dean Ryan's show, which put him in contact with Pat King. If you don't know Pat, he's a Canadian right-wing conspiracy theorist, and he was really instrumental in setting up the Canadian Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. Back then, Dave was also talking about working closely with the sovereigns. Sidebar here, we are almost certain the meeting happened around August last year and was also attended by David Cole, who's also known as Lumpa, delegates from the original Sovereign Tribal Federation, some of the people who would form the Makara camp, Romeo Georges, Mike Sims and Danny Searle. What a bunch of interesting people. Anyway, back to Pat King. So Pat had been talking about working with sovereigns at the same time too, which is one of the funniest things about this movement. They don't have very original ideas. They import, export content regularly via their news channels. Alternative news channels, mind you. Very alternative news channels. <laughs> His contact with Pat King did put him in the driver's seat for the unfolding convoy story. 
And then Guru suggested maybe it was time to do the same thing here. Unbeknownst to Guru, at the same time, Jim Greer popped up in Western Australia. You know Jim, he's just a guy with a truck who'd had enough and decided that he wanted to drive to Canberra. I don't know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's just part of the truth. Jim had a guy who appeared to be coming with him who was posting a lot on Facebook, a lot of lies from the middle of nowhere in Western Australia with him, another truck, a woman in a minivan, and a dog. Anyway, his name is Sam Harder. He's actually the brother of Ryan Harder. You might remember Ryan. He was one of the soft sits that was integral at Makada and actually is a member of Jack's favourite, the People's Treaty. Ah, but Ryan was arrested en route to Canberra and charged with commissioning arson and assaulting police. He certainly was. <laughs> Another key player at Makada is my personal favourite, Dylan Didge Wilson who coincidentally, uh, Jim Greer actually helped him set up that incredibly bad people's treaty website. Digis, uh, you will know, also facing charges of commissioning arson, and there's currently a warrant out for his arrest after he deemed it a waste of petrol to drive to Canberra to attend his bail hearing. Oh, isn't that wholesome? So that gets us to the diabolical lunatic, Bosey. Bosey has been around the movement for a while and has become increasingly popular with freedom fighters. He served in the military, has written a book and appears on the motivational speaking circuit. He is a seasoned speaker, much like his father Pino, and uses different platforms for different purposes. On Joel Jamal's turning point, he was the statesman discussing geopolitical issues, but at his Australia One meetings... Well, he's all for the Nuremberg 2.0 and the hangings of politicians, the media, and anyone who contributed to the genocide. (laughs) He's certainly a bit controversial. Interestingly, though, another regular guest on Turning Point was Romeo Georges. Ah, Romeo. So now that we know how they got there, what's the deal with the money? So Jim Greer and his pseudonym Ironbark Thunderbolt We all remember started a GoFundMe and they raised a lot of money and they raised it fast. Almost $180,000, I think. $14,000 of that was released to Jim, uh, but the rest of the money was actually frozen and refunded back to donors because like most of their GoFundMes, they actually breached the terms and conditions. Here's what we think we know. A good portion of those funds appeared to have been donated from overseas, namely Canada, Um, So the actual amount used and spent in camp was probably a lot less. I actually wonder if Jim used the bulk of that $14,000 to fix his truck. They nailed him pretty hard out the back of uh, the library there with a bunch of defects. And the last we saw of it was it being towed away to a mechanic. Yep. With so many of the movement influences in the one place, the frenzy around raising money was intense. It felt like everyone had a GoFundMe, but as quick as they set them up, they were closed down. In the end, Michael Gray Griffith and his partner Rohana from Cafe Locked Out set up a PayPal account to receive money directly to their bank account, as did live streamer Joel Gilmore and independent journalist who is actually not a journalist, Tammy Jane. They weren't raising money for the camp though. They were raising money to pay for hotel rooms and petrol. I laughed so hard at this. The actual audacity of asking people for money and then taking yourself off to a hotel for the night as a special treat. Yeah, yeah, really not cool. 
poor freedom fighters camping and sleeping in tents while these guys took their money and slept in comfort. <laughs> how much money did these influence raise, though? And how much of that went to actually running the camp? I don't think we'll ever know. They like to say that they're transparent, but I don't know if they are. Yeah, so collection buckets are posted around the place at Epic and taken to the protests while people are encouraged to bring cash to donate directly on site. When they started talking about cash donations, a few posts did start appearing on Telegram and Facebook. And I think people did start to question what was going on with the money. Um, So, you know, a finance team was set up and a face was put to it. Kathy from finance. Yeah, I remember Kathy from finance. And then on the last night at Epic, we watched a harebrained scheme be put forward. If everyone there just donated $10, we'd be able to buy a block of land for everyone to move to. Watching the people just walk up and put money into a cardboard box was wild. I mean, how could they possibly raise enough money with people's spare change to buy land by the next day? Just ridiculous. Yeah. I want to go back actually and just put on the record on the back of that truck that night. We had Jim Greer, Guru, Mark Mack, and Maddie Fry, who's currently running as an independent in the election. It was a strange, strange moment and one that would absolutely fracture what was already broken with accusations still being made today. Yeah, at this point, people started to believe there was a lot of money floating around. So pressure came down on that finance team to explain where the money had gone. So we knew about Kathy, but at the time we didn't really know who she was. Well, we do now. Her full name's Kathy Burnside and she was definitely an enigma Till she reappeared back on Facebook as Tilly Cat. And she is pretty down the rabbit hole. Her video stating that the recent floods in Lismore were due to geoengineering by the government in an effort to have citizens removed from their homes and placed in camps with gas pipes, Holocaust style. Absolutely cooked stuff. (laughs) Absolutely. Who else was on that finance team, though? It couldn't have just been Kathy. Well, it looks like initially the main person looking after the finances was Anna Brown from the Australia Project and wife of Lance Brown. There have been statements made that a trust fund in Anna's name was to be used initially, but about a week before the fateful night, Anna went back to Brisbane and handed over responsibility to Luke Cole. How much money was handed over, though? Well, you know, you can trust Telegram to be a source of news, So she published a financial document on there showing daily donations, daily outgoings. According to the document, a total of $26,000 was raised on site with $13,000 raised on that weekend of the 5th of February. Which actually makes sense as we saw the cars arriving at Epic for for that weekend and it was actually pretty big. Yeah. The document lists their outgoings as $15,000 with the bulk of that spent on Toilets, which is hilarious given, you know, the issue with toilets. Kitchen supplies and petrol. So there was a balance of $11,000, which she said was handed over to Luke Cole. That doesn't include the money raised via that cardboard box. Luke maintains that that money never made it to the donations office. He also maintains that the balance of the money was spent setting up at Kalula Farm, which was set up for people who couldn't make it back home and anyone else deemed at risk. Yeah, some not so good comments and feedback about that camp was spread around though, which had us a little bit worried about the welfare of the vulnerable people there. So after watching hours of lives, reading thousands of Telegram comments, 
we still can't definitively answer the question of what happened to the money. I think what we can say is that there was a lot less money floating around than maybe people believed. At best, Jim Greer got $14,000. The fact that Luke Cole stuck around in Canberra for a while makes us think that he did only receive the $11,000, and some of that would definitely have been used to pay the guy from Kalula Farms. But we don't know that for sure. And I don't think we will ever know really where the cardboard box went. I know one person who's still pretty keen to find out what happened, Johnny Q. We have heard a couple of pretty amazing phone recordings from Johnny uh, to Luke Cole and also Harrison McLean, and he's still pretty irate. But even if someone did pocket the money, how much would have been there really? Cash in people's pockets? Maybe a few thousand? Maybe at most? Yeah, Miss Epic. They were simpler times, really, before things went left in a hurry. One thing that always felt strange about Canberra was how they managed to get everything done in such a short amount of time. I mean, Sandy and I jumped on the Zello channels pretty quick, and it was a well-oiled machine in there, as was the setup of the kitchens and the day-to-day runnings of the camp. For a movement that would normally spend a month arguing about a date, it felt really odd. Yeah, so we got thinking and we believed that the organisation of it was handled by the Australia Project and this was confirmed about a week or so ago by Guru actually. So what do we know about the Australia Project? Well, the Australia Project is also known as TAP and it was founded in Queensland around August last year by brothers Kent and Lance, Lance Brown. They first came to our attention when Reignite Democracy Australia promoted them last year in support of their letter writing strategy. This was when the freedom movement was sending letters to people they felt were enforcing COVID restrictions and mandates on them, such as their boss, and were written in a pseudo-legal way to basically threaten them with legal action and hope they don't take their bluff. Mm. Other freedom groups like the human rights advocates had letters they put together too and could supply you with them for a fee of around $25. Or if you wanted it personalised with a professional-looking letterhead. But that's going to cost you extra. Yeah, we question that one a lot. But RDA had their own brand of letter declaring the rules must be enforced by biosecurity control orders to the individual. And many of the other anti-vax freedom groups worldwide had their own versions along the same lines also. But TAP letters were aiming for a different solution. If you received a letter, you would be ordered to cease and desist immediately or else face a trial later on in the common law court that could see you guilty for crimes against humanity, crimes against the Nuremberg Code, the Magna Carta and the Constitution of Australia, among a list of many other ways that your actions to curb the spread of the virus and keep your community safe broke some law in the universe and made these people unhappy. Much along the lines of the soft They claim that these trials would take place when they take over and form what they call a we the people government and put to trial all the recipients of their letters in a new common law court with the outcome, if found guilty, jail, 20 years or a hanging. (laughs) Yeah, forget this. They claim to have registered the names of and sent out 31,330 letters Australia-wide, with some of their letters even making it into news articles after pharmacists posted about it asking, what the heck are these about? Could you imagine all those people being put on a trial at a common law court? (laughs) Thankfully, so far, 
They have been unsuccessful in taking over the government, although the idea caught on and there have been attempts in different ways, as you would have heard Joel and Jack discuss in their episodes. But they have been active in the background during these events and appear to be having a fair bit of influence in the way things are going and the direction the movement is taking. What is concerning for us is the way TAP operates. They do make attempts to keep their activities quiet. They function online via their website, Instagram and Telegram only. The executives have wiped themselves from mainstream social media and they recruit followers to join local groups that they call TAP satellite groups. These satellite groups are Australia-wide and are managed from Telegram. The admins of these groups organize weekly meetings with their members that they can take offline so they can plan and strategize and talk about sensitive things they can only talk about face-to-face and in person. Kent Brown claims that there's over 100,000 members in their satellite groups all over Australia. Yep, but that is Cooker's Math. Cooker's math being the numbers they draw out of thin air to inflate themselves to look bigger than they really are. We know because we've actually checked. There are over 90 groups Australia-wide and in total they have just under 15,000 subscribers. A portion of this will be double-ups or non-active members, of course. But what this also tells us is where these groups are more popular, which is in New South Wales and Queensland. And so while this is definitely way less than the claimed 100,000 people, there's still a decent amount of cookers gathering weekly to hold secret meetings offline and planning stuff. A new group, when it starts, really does need the support of the other influencers to get their name out there. And for TAP, this came in the form of Romeo Georgia's Pretty Boy Romeo and uh, Leela Milkey, who participated in an Instagram Live with Lance Brown to promote him to their very large followings. Ah, Romeo again. Mm. RDA jumped on board with writing letters for a little bit, and another platform that promoted them was Woke Mama, putting together lives with the brothers to her Save the Children audience, instilling paranoia into the, all the mothers who follow her. That live was a little bit wild, actually. Kent Brown made outrageous allegations that children would have their underwear forcibly removed to inject them with the vaccine. It's that pedophile fantasy stuff again. So that's the Australia Project, how they operate, their recruitment efforts, and how they are promoted to the freedom movement followers. But Lance and Kent have another project, and COP. Ah, yeah. So the Australian National Council of Patriots which is a council of freedom group leaders to meet and collaborate together and steer the freedom movement in the direction that they want. They collaborate, then hold meetings with the admins of the TAP satellite groups who then pass along any relevant information they need to the members in those groups who then go out and do what needs to be done. From ANCOB, we have seen mention of creating an off-grid community north of Canberra and consideration of a parallel society including a parallel election. So we can see clearly the direction that TAP wants to take the movement in the future. This is a new group and whether they manage to recruit other leaders to join the council is yet to be seen. But we will keep an eye on that for sure. They really are busy laying the foundation for their alternative society, actively recruiting freedom members to join them. They focus a lot on the convoy to Canberra people, people who attend rallies. What was interesting, though, that was Lance spoke at one of the rallies alongside Guru, which was interesting because he's really been under the radar. Lance and Guru have actually done a few lives together to discuss their alternative views. Mm. And I noticed Monica from RDA recently mentioned that she was working with them to influence the upcoming real election 
and help promote freedom, freedom candidates. So another thing that they do is they have also collaborated with National Education United, another freedom group founded by Christian Marchigiani, who everyone knows as Mac, who then handed, over, handed that group over to a teacher named Cole to run it on behalf of unjabbed teachers and to form an alternative freedom school in Wangara, New South Wales, for unvaccinated teachers who lost their jobs to mandates so they can teach the children pulled out of mainstream school by their parents out of fear of being indoctrinated and jabbed behind their parents' back. They have another school soon to be opened in Victoria as well. So we've got a parallel education system and a parallel society as the end game for TAP. I reckon there would be a fair amount of support from uh, the broader community, to be honest. Yeah, and look, seriously, though, these groups are really focused on building distrust in government, education, medicine and the media, which in turn sees a whole group of people cutting themselves off from the broader community and pushes them further into the echo chamber. Mm. I know that we think they're pretty funny because they are, but it is important that we take them seriously too. And while that all sounds daunting... Guru was actually the best thing to come along for us. He's been instrumental in dividing the movement up. And despite all their efforts, the movement has really taken a hit since Epic. Yeah, but they do seem to be in recovery mode, trying to repair relationships with each other. I heard Guru pumping up Dave O'Neggs the other day. So the rusted on Canberra crew are continuing to yell at buildings now from across a lake. There is no way he can hear them. There's also appears to be some biff and clout competition between Guru and Makadar supporter Johnny Q as they appear to be fighting for top dog position to lead the sovereigns. And they do continue to be up to some very bizarre and pointless antics. We'll continue to keep an eye on them and other groups around Australia just to see what happens next. Yeah, we sure will. And thank you for taking the time to hear us out. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at SOS149 and Sunny Sandy Al. And hopefully we'll be back soon with more tales and information to share. It's been our pleasure. Talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye.